The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. This morning, church, I am... I am so grateful. We get to, we've gotten to the end of this absolutely incredible book of Jonah. And and today we're kind of going to finish things up, bring this book to a close. Um, But as we do, I want to give us a little bit of a heads up on where we're headed. A little bit of a heads up. So um, next week, we, I want to invite you to something. Uh, I want to invite you to something we are calling the One Body Weekend. Uh, the One Body Weekend. Here's what we're going to do. Next week, we are going to be joined by another church in our community. They're going to be here with us. They're going to be worshiping with us. They happen to speak Spanish. So I'll be preaching in Spanish. I'm joking. Don't You do not want that. Um, they, they do speak English as well, but they are going to be here with us worshiping together. The church is called Enlace Cristiano, and I said that perfectly. I want you to know that. Um, they're going to be here uh, with us. They typically will meet for worship at 1 p.m., and uh, what they're going to do is they're going to come, and they're going to be a part of our morning, and then they're going to go, and they're going to worship uh, in their church at one. Um, and here is the heart behind this. Jesus Christ came for, so that all men, all tribes, all peoples, and all tongues would be saved through him. Amen? And our gospel is not, I'll say it like this, not owned by any one group it's not, it, more than that, our gospel is best seen and expressed through the diversity of people that all look to God through Jesus Christ. That's when we see it the best. And, and you know, we look at our world right now who is, that is torn. I mean, you've seen this in your news feeds, what's happening in Virginia right now. And, and yet we stand on the fact that our gospel unites us. Now, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, every people, every nation. And what we're doing is we're simply choosing now. We're simply saying we're going to come together now and proclaim that our, the gospel is bigger than us. It's bigger than any one church. That we stand, it's even bigger than any one language. So we're going to celebrate that next week. Next week. And I have two things that I want to ask of you. Uh, one, of course, I hope you're here. Uh, but when you come, I want to ask that you don't view yourself as an attender. And I don't, I don't care how new, this could be your first week, and I'm, I'm still asking you this, uh, that you come not as an attender, but you, that you come ready to host. We're going to have a church, a, a group of brothers and sisters that are going to be joining us, and I want us to make them feel welcome. Make them feel welcome. And the second thing I want to ask you to do is along those lines, I want to ask you to keep your lunch plans. Consider keeping your lunch plans open. We're going to have a group of of people from another church here who are in a different culture than we are. and, And what if we went out to lunch with them? I brought this up to Pastor Fernando, who's their pastor. He laughed at me and he said, anytime you eat on Sunday at noon, that's not lunch in my culture. 
that's brunch. Fair enough. Fair enough. Take them to brunch. We'll have lunch. And, and, and let's just, let's welcome them. Let's have an incredible weekend. So that's next week. Um, but after that, what we are going to do is begin to turn our focus back to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you were with us in the spring, we started into this incredible book, and we made it a whopping six chapters. And so we got to the summer, and we put it down. Um, but we are going to be looking back, picking up right there in chapter six where we left off. And just a warning, it's going to start zero to 60, because if you remember where we left off, Paul was just starting to talk about sexual immorality and sexual things in the church. I'll leave it at that. And um, we're going to just jump right back in. So we'll buckle our seatbelts, and we're just going to dive right back into this incredible book. I love the fall, and I love where we're headed as a church in the fall. So today, though, I want us to end this book, this incredible book of Jonah well. And as we do that, I just want to invite you to join me in prayer, and we'll turn our focus to the chapter four of Jonah. God, I pray right now that in these moments that you would speak and that we would hear. God, if there is any way that I get in your way, would you move me? And would you allow the words of your, your scripture to just come out and penetrate our hearts, turn our attention and our gaze to you, help our affections for Christ to be stirred in this, in this place and this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would turn with me to Jonah 4, and if you don't have a Bible, I just wanted to make you aware, they should be around you somewhere. These are, um, if you don't own a Bible, this is yours to keep. Just take it home with you. Uh, if you do have a Bible, you just didn't bring it, that's fine. Use one of ours or use your phone. I know we're, it's 2017 and pages are outdated. But um, we wanted to make that available to you. Let me get us caught up to where we are in Jonah's story. So if you were to open up the book of Jonah, if you were looking to Jonah to be a true hero, a good guy, Jonah is incredibly disappointing. Um, here's where we are so far. So God calls Jonah. He calls him. The word of the Lord comes to him and specifically tells him, hey, go, Jonah, to that people, to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah looks at God and says, no. No. In fact, I'm going to run sail 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. Uh, and th so Jonah is running, and then this storm comes. This storm, and instead of repenting, and instead of Jonah being in this moment broken and, and um, just broken for his disobedience, we see Jonah still moping. And we ask, and, and Jonah asks, sailors, just throw me overboard. And this is, this is our, our boy Jonah here. And then think of this. Up to chapter 2, we do not see an ounce of compassion from Jonah. Not a, not a shred of it. Not for the people of Nineveh. And we don't even see it on the boat for the, for the sailors. We don't see an ounce of compassion. Instead, the Lord tells Jonah, go. And, and Jonah says, Lord, not me. Lord, not them. 
that as we've seen the compassion of our God, the mission of our God is and was not stopped through the storm, through the fish, through the fish vomit. God said loudly and clearly, yes, Jonah, you, and yes, Jonah, them. This is my my plan. And so after Jonah attempts to run, storm, swallowed, vomit, here we are in our story. He finally gets in chapter three to the city of Nineveh. He shows up finally. And in the Bible says that he literally walks a third of the way into Nineveh, a third of the way in. And and we'll we'll go ahead and read this. Here's his gospel presentation. Um, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. What a message. Uh, He gives the most half-hearted presentation of the gospel that I've ever ever seen. There's no mention of God and his compassion. There's no mention of the possibility that God would relent and forgive. And Jonah knew about all those things, but there's no mention of that. There's nothing. He simply walks in and says, hey, 40 days, you're going to die. I'm out. And walks out like a third of the way in, walks out. And to his surprise and to his dissatisfaction, the people of Nineveh not only hear him, but supernaturally through the work of God himself, they come to repentance. Like, that was a work of God. That was a miracle. It certainly did not have anything to do with the eloquent speech of the messenger here. Because that messenger stunk. In fact, he literally set out to give them the worst presentation of the gospel that he could possibly muster in hopes that they wouldn't hear. But God sovereignly uses his running. God sovereignly uses his terrible gospel presentation to accomplish his purpose, to save those sailors and to turn an entire city's heart to repentance to God. Which, by the way, before we get into chapter 4, that should just be a breath of fresh air for us, amen? Because, because the work of God to save a person, to convict them, to change them, to call them to repentance, does not rest in our eloquent words and our polished gospel presentations. You know, we've, you've probably heard it said, the... Um, It's about the wonder of the message, not the ability of the messenger. And I think that's true, but but I want to push that just a little further and say, it is all about the compassion and the power of our God, period. Period. Now, does God choose to use his message, his gospel, to change hearts? Absolutely. Now, does God choose to use his messengers to proclaim that gospel? Absolutely. But let Jonah be just a an incredible reminder to us that it is never about our eloquent gospel presentations or the charisma of any messenger. It is about the compassion and the power of our God to save lives, and that should bring us so much confidence. Think about this. God literally used, hey, in 40 days you're gonna die to turn an entire city, an entire city, to repentance. That is awesome. That is awesome. And it leads us to chapter four. And in coming off of this incredible scene of repentance, Jonah continues to show us his colors. 
verse 1 in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, don't rush past this. This it right here, you know what that is. That it is the repentance of an entire city. So, but it, the repentance of an entire city, that displeased Jonah exceedingly. This word displeased here literally means that Jonah thought it was evil to him. (laughs) And then he's angry. Now, he goes on to continue to explain himself, and it gets worse in chapter 2, or in verse 2. And he prayed that the, to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, this not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish 2,000 miles in the other direction. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Lord, I knew that, and that's why I did not want to go to Nineveh, because I didn't want them to experience that. I didn't want them to experience the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy that I had received. I didn't, no, not me and not them. Think about this. Jonah's disobedience did not come from ignorance. Jonah knew about God. I mean, he he nailed it. He knew. Jonah's disobedience came because he knew about God, and what he knew about God, he did not like. he, He knew about God, and he did not approve of what he knew about God. He did not like it. That's not what he wanted God to do. So, okay, you may not have run 2,000 miles in the opposite direction from God's call on your, on your life. You may not have ever been swallowed by a large fish and vomited back onto the shore. You may not have this deep-seated hatred to an entire people. You might not be here like that, but I bet you, you can relate to this. I, how many times, church, do we try to get God to fit into our boxes? To fit in, to operate according to our expectations. Uh, how often do we know, do what we know about God and what we see kind of, and, and, and we, would, we wish that he would just act differently. We wish that he would just act sooner, that he would intervene in our lives differently. Church, Jonah knew about God, but he thought he knew better. He thought he knew better. There's just this arrogance that's on display here. Jonah is displeased and angry that God would show compassion toward this other group of people. And notice, as we read in chapter 3, I want you to think about this. Um, Jonah's tone has not changed since back in that boat with the storm, and he thinks he's going to die. Listen to this. Verse 3, therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. If you didn't know any better, and I lifted that verse out, and I said, would you place this in the book of Jonah? You would have for sure placed it probably in chapter one when he's on the boat about to die. Maybe you would have placed it in the fish. You know where you wouldn't have placed it? 
after an entire city repents. After an entire, this was Jonah's response. After God miraculously shows up, pours out his compassion to save this city from destruction and from eternal separation from their God in hell. And this is Jonah's response. Jonah should have been celebrating up on that little hill in his little booth that we're going to talk about, that should have been a worship service as he looks out over the city, but it is not. Jonah's selfishness and his pride cause him to miss out on all of that, to mope and to pout, and to wish that he was dead. Now, in some ways, church, can you relate to this? Because maybe you're here and, and, and you're angry that God has not responded or acting, acted in your life the way you think he should have. Maybe you're here and, and you're not able to see God, that you're working all things together for the good. You know that verse, but you just can't see it. Maybe you're here and you have some expectations that God has not lived up to yet. Maybe you're here and your God has not met your timeline. Maybe you are here and you're facing frustration because you know that the Bible says that he's going to work all things together for the good and you look at your life and you just I don't see it. I don't know if I can trust that God meant what he said when he said that. Right? Have you been there? So many of us can raise our hands. So many of us. Here's the funny thing about this church and what I want us to see before we get into this, this next part is that so often it takes someone or something else in our life to snap us out of our little selfish stupor that we're in. So often, it takes someone else to, to speak into our lives. That's why we, we talk about gospel-centered community often here, because often God uses other people to say, hey, snap out of it, snap out, come on. In Jonah's case, though, God himself shows up with this object lesson of sorts to snap him out of the selfish stupor that he finds himself in. So I want us to look at this in in Chat in verse four, and the Lord said, "Do you do well to be angry?" And so in verse five, Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east of the city and made a little booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till um, he should see what would become of this city. So you you get this sense that Jonah is is thinking, surely this wasn't sincere repentance. Surely this wasn't like, this isn't going to last long. I mean, this is 6,000 years of people behaving like pagans. Surely God's not going to just go forgiven and all that goes away. I'm going to set up my tent right here and I'm going to wait because surely God's going to make it rain here. I mean, I just told them that in 40 days they're going to be done. I'm going to stay here for 40 days and I'm going to see how this thing plays out, you get this sense that he was waiting, setting up camp for destruction to fall on these, on these people. And so again, you see him just kind of blinded by his selfishness and his pride. And, and so in verse 6, the object lesson begins. Um, now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. We can relate to that in San Antonio in the summer, right? 
like coming up, shading him. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun to beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. There it is again. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. This is the same language from Jonah. We saw it in the boat. We saw it after repentance. And here we see it again. Jonah goes from exceedingly glad to suicidal like that. Like then in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. I love this. This is crazy. Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. It reminds me of a child. Like, yeah, I'm angry. I'm angry and I wish I could die. Wow, wow. You get this. And then the object lesson comes full circle here. And this is the way our book ends. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I not, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So listen to this. I want us to see a couple things here. First, I want us to see our selfishness our selfishness. Think for a moment and notice the difference between Jonah's attitude toward the plant versus Jonah's attitude toward the people. Think about, this verse said that Jonah pitied the plant. The literal meaning of that word is that he looked at this plant compassionately, that, that his heart was stirred for it and that his compassion was stirred for this plant's well-being. This is the first time in this book that we see an ounce of compassion from our man Jonah, and it happened about a plant, a plant that he didn't labor for, he didn't make grow, he had no skin in this game, and a plant that he just, a plant that he just met yesterday for the first time. The first time we see compassion from Jonah. And then God delivers this message like a dagger to the heart of Jonah's selfishness. Jonah you pity this plant. How much more should I pity these people? This plant that you didn't put into the ground, you didn't tend to, you didn't water, you did nothing for it, you met it yesterday, and yet, Jonah, you have the arrogance to be mad at me, to be mad at me for the pity I have toward the people of this great city. This is through this object lesson here, church. God is, is saying, Jonah, I am sovereign. I created these people in my own image, and I know the very number of the hairs on their head. You pity this plant. Jonah, how much more should I pity these people? Jonah re is rebuked here. God reveals his selfishness. We've seen all throughout this book the ethnocentrism of Jonah. This, this view that he sees himself and his own people as kind of 
the, the, the standard by which everyone else should be measured with. We see this on display. All, we see it when Jonah says, not them, not those people. Those, them, they are not wor- worthy. We've seen it all throughout the book. And if you have followed, again, the news feed from this weekend out of Virginia, you see the same attitude on display. You, this, what I'm saying here is this ethnocentrism, this racism is not an ancient struggle, church. This is our world. This is our news feed. This is us. And this is anti-gospel because it tears down what the cross of Christ has won. And the church must be the ones carrying this torch saying loud and clear, there is only one kind of person that stands before God. There's only one, and that is a sinner in need of grace. Period. If Jonah would have realized that, he would not have been on top of this hill pouting. He would have been celebrating because in them he sees himself. And more than just the ethnocentrism, that the heart of that, at the heart of it, is selfishness. It's selfishness. It's it's clouding Jonah's view of his world. His own selfishness, rather than seeing and rejoicing that our God is the God who saves and forgives and who is gracious, Jonah sits down pouting because his expectations were not met and because he wanted God to operate the way he wanted God to operate. And he's pouting. And you know what's completely missing other than the glimpse of the plant? Compassion of any kind, compassion. Our short-sighted selfishness does the same thing in our lives, does the same thing. Our selfishness crowds out our ability to have and to see people with compassion. It is possible for us to live our lives and spend 100% of our time and our energy and our resources on ourselves. It is, it is possible to get to the place where it is just a crazy thought for you to give your time and your resource to someone else. It's, it is possible for us to live our lives without having pity on another human being. Like Jonah, we may pity the loss of our plants, the loss of our things, but pity for people. Some of us may not remember the last time that we've been laying in our bed at night, restless and can't sleep because our heart is broken because of the compassion we feel towards someone else. Many of us cannot remember the last time that's ever happened to us, but many of us can remember the last time that we've laid there in our bed, tossing and turning because of the loss of our plants because of the loss of our things that serve us, and we can live our lives with ourselves as the center. And and all of a sudden, there's no room for pity or compassion on anyone else, and we forget the compassion of our God. And what happens is we begin to have this attitude where we root against people, where we root that they would get what's theirs, 
We, we plead for God, instead of pleading to God to show them mercy, we plead, God, would you give them what is theirs, what's coming to them? We call out for justice. We begin to use people. How about this? We begin to see other people as the supporting cast to our show, where we are the center. This is rampant in our culture. On every side of our culture, this is rampant in our selfishness and our agendas begin to destroy our ability to have compassion. It, it hits it at the heart. We, we fail to see each other with compassion. We fail to, to be able to see each other the way that God sees us. And we examine our lives and we find so often that we are far too concerned with our things, with our stuff, with ourselves, with our plants, than we are the people. Those people. And then, follow me, we start to find ourselves getting angry that our God is not like us and that he doesn't, he's not more concerned with our plants than he is with those people. We start projecting our selfish perspectives on our God and we're angry with him that he would show up that way and not show up this way. Have you been there? Jonah's story is this resounding reminder that, that our God does not and will not fit into our box, fill our agenda, or further our selfishness. He's telling, God is telling Jonah, Jonah, look up, open your eyes, and see these people from my perspective, from my eyes. And, and this is the message that we need to see this morning, church, that let me ask you this. What are your plants and who are those people in your life? What are your plants and who are your people? Today, right now, my prayer is that God in this moment would reveal all the ways that we're here pitying our plants more than those people. That he would reveal that and then that he would begin to do the work of softening our hearts and breaking our hearts for what breaks his we're going to come back to this, but I want to get to our second thing that I want us to see from this. And the second thing that I want us to see is our forgetfulness. Our forgetfulness. Um, I want you to think about something. Tell me on what ground did Jonah have? What ground did Jonah have to stand on to consider himself more worthy than them? On what ground? What elevated him? What elevated Jonah? I mean, was it his ethnicity? Was it his skin color? Well, no, because the scriptures reveal that God's heart is for all people and all tribes, like we've talked about. Um, way back in Genesis, when, when God created man, he created man in his own image. This was not limited to one ethnicity. It cannot, be, it, throughout the narrative of scripture, we see God the Father pursuing man through the work of Christ, bringing people to himself. And yes, he used the Israelites to accomplish that, but you cannot faithfully read the scripture and come away thinking, Israel is the point. You can't. God uses them to bring salvation to the world. It could not have been his ethnicity. So, was it his religious practices that separated Jonah from the rest? 
Was it the fact that his people, that he had the law, he knew what God told him to do. He had the Torah. He had those religious practices. Boom, they didn't. Heathens, right? Was it that? No, it couldn't have been that because they didn't get the law as any merit of them. The, The law was given to them by God. They did not earn the right to have it. It was given to them. It wasn't because they were awesome that they got these practices. It, it, it wasn't. This was God's work, and that couldn't have been what separated them. So what was it? If it wasn't his ethnicity, his religious practice, was it Jonah himself? Was this dude just awesome? Was he a spiritual giant among boys? Well, as you read this book, uh, by now, you'll see that wasn't it. That was not, Jonah was far from perfect. He was a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness, just like the Ninevites were. So it wasn't his ethnicity. It wasn't his religious practices. It wasn't that he himself was just this awesome person. So what was it? There is one thing that separated Jonah from Nineveh. You ready? Forgetfulness. Jonah's forgetfulness. Follow me. Jonah forgot that he was just like them, apart from the grace of God. Jonah forgot that he was shown grace and mercy and forgiveness. Jonah forgot that, that he deserved justice, but that God, being rich in mercy and love, came and, and looked at him with compassion, completely undeserved. Jonah forgot that. And that made Jonah think, well, those dirty people over there those, those people. The only thing that separated Jonah from the people of Nineveh was that Jonah forgot that he was just like them apart from the grace of God. My dad would always say, that'll preach. Church, that'll preach. I'm telling you. And as a follower of Christ, our lack of compassion is a symptom of selfishness and forgetfulness in our lives. Let me say it again. Lack of compassion is the symptom of selfishness or forgetfulness in our lives, and most often it is both. To say this another way, if you examine your life and you, and you realize that you have this lack of compassion and you see it, you can trace it back to selfishness or forgetfulness or both. Because both of these are going to manifest themselves in your life by destroying your ability to have compassion on others. I I want us to bring this together now, and I want us to end with this. I want us to look at a story Jesus told us in Matthew 18. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus here is teaching his disciples. Um, He's telling them this story, and this story is going to summarize so perfectly. Jonah chapter 4. I want us to to look at this because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to put us, church, in Jonah's shoes, sandals, whatever. He's going to put us there. I want you to look at this. Starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven 
times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay, we don't have time to get into that. There's a lot there. But verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven, listen to this, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So perspective here, um, a talent is the equivalent of 20 years labor for an average worker. So uh, for perspective's sake, I want you to uh, take your yearly salary and multiply it by 20. And that's a talent. So in this case, 10,000. So multiply that by 10,000. Add some zeros to the end of that number, and you will get an idea of the kind of debt that we're talking about here. This was not just debt. This was soul-crushing debt. That There was no hope of climbing out of this hole. That's the kind of debt that's on display here. And then in verse 25, and since he could not pay, obviously, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity, same word here, out of pity for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, again, let's get some perspective. We don't use that currency today. Um, A denarii is roughly a day's wage. Okay, so so if you take your monthly home pay, uh, take home pay, find out what that is daily, right? You have that. That's a denarii. Now add two zeros to it because it's 100 of them, and now you'll get the idea of what this is servant owed him. So here's what we have here. We have a guy who was just forgiven millions, millions, who is now finding this guy who owns, owes him thousands, right? So, and seizing him, here's what he began to do. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. No pity. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They realized this was wrong, right? And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then the master, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, here's what happened. We, like Jonah, have been forgiven so much. We, like Jonah, were dead in our debt, in our sin. We, like Jonah, had this mound, a mound of evidence that would send us to judgment, 
We, like Jonah, had millions of dollars of debt. We are completely unable to pay it, but we, like Jonah, have experienced the unmerited compassion, forgiveness, and favor of our God, that we would walk in before our king, and our king would look at us and have pity, pity, compassion on us, and that he would forgive us and relent from the disaster that was coming for us. That is us. We are Jonah. Jonah had no right to call himself a child of God apart from the grace of God, apart from the forgiveness of God. And then Jonah had the audacity to look at these people in need of that same grace and say, not them. We, like Jonah, have no right to tell our God who he should have compassion on and who he should not. And church, this tendency can creep into our hearts so quickly. We look at a group of people and, and we forget the grace that God has shown us and we selfishly are wanting God to act according to our plans. Church, if we are going to engage our world with the gospel, if we're gonna bring the message of Jesus Christ to our city, to our neighbors, if we're gonna go out on a limb and, and talk to our coworkers about Christ, it has to start with us laying down our selfishness and, and ethnocentrism and remembering the grace that came to us when we were dead in our sins. It's gotta start with our hearts being stirred for them because we remember that we are them. It has to start here. It has to start for our hearts, with our hearts breaking for what breaks his. It has to start here. And imagine, church, if we were a people who engaged our city, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, if we engaged them because our hearts were broken for them, that we cannot not speak, that we cannot not engage. That's not even an option because we've lost sleep because of the lostness of our city. Imagine if the church was a beacon of hope, imagine if we were that people. And instead of church, Jonah was literally sitting on top of a hill, sitting on a hill, broken over the fact that God showed compassion. Let us instead, church, be broken over the lostness of the city and be rejoicing and celebrating the compassion of our God. Now, as we close, I want, us to, I want to read this to you, and I want us to remember this. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Listen to what Paul says. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord, listen to this word, overflowed for me with a faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Listen to this that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If Jonah had remembered that, he would not have been pouting on top of that hill. He would have been praising God for the grace and the compassion that he just saw God pour out. Let us pray together this morning and ask God to stir our hearts with that compassion. Let us pray and ask that God would, would remind us of the grace that he has shown us in our lives. Church, would you pray with me?
God, I just pray this morning for everyone here that you would just begin to stir our hearts and our affections for you. God, I pray that in this room that you would show us the way that we have attached our compassion to the plants in our life. And I I pray that you would allow us to see things from your perspective and that you would turn our hearts to break for the people in our lives, the people who you are broken for. God, would you just stir in us? We know that it starts in us. And so would you, God, just stir in us and use us for your glory, your kingdom, in our community and in our world. God, stir our compassion and remind us of the way that you looked at us with such a great compassion that we will never comprehend. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.